1: welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight, as usual, is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he is also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you?
0: Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself?
1: Doing well, Father. Thanks for being here.
0: Well, it's mutual. Thank you. By the way... I would like to ask people to please pray for Father Randolph. Today is the 32nd anniversary of Father Randolph's death in a hospital in Canada. Uh, It's uh, now January 26th, the Feast of St. Polycarp, and it seems very appropriate uh, because Father Randolph was a great devotee of the early Fathers of the Church and traveled the East and uh, actually visited many of the places uh, that he preached about. So to be uh, to be called by God on the 26th of January, the Feast of Saint Polycarp, uh, Polycarp, I think Father Randolph would uh, uh, have chosen a date like that. But it was the Canadian government that actually chose that date because uh, this is this is socialist medicine, Father. Randolph was put to death by socialist medicine in Canada, because he had run out of time, the allotted time on a ventilator. And they determined that they were going to remove the ventilator from him. This is just some kind of bureaucratic decision here, knowing that it would precipitate his death. In fact, he died within a matter of maybe a couple hours. But uh, I flew into Toronto, and Father Sanborn uh, met me at the airport and drove me back to the hospital. The plan was that we were going to offer mass in the hospital room, and then administer holy communion—the the, the last holy communion of Father Randolph's long and productive life. Uh, he would receive viaticum, and they would remove. Uh, actually, that's the first day when they when they removed the uh, the. Uh, ventilator uh, extubating him he would receive communion and that he would die um, and uh, when we finally got from the airport to the hospital we found that they couldn't wait that they couldn't wait they just had to go while uh, Father Sanborn was coming to the airport to to get me and uh, there was some kind of uh, official socialist timetable I guess Um, that they they couldn't wait and they took out the breathing tube for Father Randolph. And by the time we arrived at the hospital, he was already in the act of expiring. It was just moments from death. Uh, And so, I mean, how evil can you get, right? His uh, adopted son was there and his wife. And they were, I think, pleading with the doctors to just wait until we were able to get there offer Mass, administer Holy Communion, it would have been a, a short delay, not that long. Mm-hmm. They had other things to do in the hospital, but no, they were there to take out the tube and that was all there was to it. And there's nothing to do with humanity involved. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like what's happened during COVID-19 um, with, with actually imprisoning people in the, in the uh, intensive care units. and uh, not letting their loved ones have any contact with them or direct contact with them. Uh, Again, it's all bureaucracy and it's administration, it's not medicine and it's not science, it's bureaucracy and they simply don't want to uh, bend, right? Basically, I think what it comes down to is the legal department telling the administration what they should do to protect themselves. well, we got a good taste of that 32 years ago when we had arranged to give the Atticum to Father Randolph before he passed away. And we were prevented from doing so because of socialist bureaucracy and their socialist health care system. Um, I didn't intend to go into all of that, but I think it's an important lesson for us here. Yeah. Um, but I also do ask for prayers, continued prayers for Norman Normandine, another fine traditional priest, and uh, also ask for prayers for some very dear souls, Hank Raska and uh, uh, also Mr. Robert Gorey. There are many others, too. I can't name all, but I do ask you to pray for all the the intentions of supporters of what Catholics believe Mm -hmm. through the years, both living and deceased. And I I thank you for that Mm guidance. Absolutely.
1: Thank you, Father. By
0: the way, Tom, if I may also mention some patience on the part of some of our viewers because we've had requests to do a program uh, about Our Lady of Quito, Our Lady of Good Success yes. in Ecuador. Yeah. And we've had every intention of doing that, and we will, too, and possibly the very next program we do will be on that subject. I'd like to educate myself a bit more on it, though. Uh, and I think you would, too. Yes. So it's not that we know nothing about it, but we, uh, it's a topic, topic that I think deserves um, uh, more knowledge than I have about it right now. And so I intend to... Go back and do my homework. Okay. And uh, hopefully the next program will be about that very subject, and I thank our viewers for their patience.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, one other thing, Father, uh, since we're mentioning <laughs> announcements here, is um, that I just, I guess, first of all, I wanted to remind our, our viewers of our, of our website, wcvohio.com. We have um, all kinds of information and useful le- links posted on there. Um, also, recently we've uh, begun posting our videos on Rumble, and BitChute is kind of an alternative to YouTube. So we would definitely um, encourage our, our viewers to uh, to go that route rather than YouTube, um, just to kind of get away from them and, and, and view our videos on both Rumble and BitChute. And so we will have um, the links to those that our, our viewers can easily, easily reference. We had- And there are two w- reasons for that, right? I mean, one
0: is the possibility of censorship. Mm-hmm. The other is just the many things on YouTube that we would not necessarily yes uh recommend people see right mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and with, with our last video father we um we had uh the in- inauguration day where we commented on that and we had that in, in the title and and youtube actually they had they had um, inserted a little banner at the bottom of our video saying um that that joe biden something to the effect that joe biden has been certified he's the you know official president of the united states and you know provided a, a link to this and um I guess because we had that keyword in there of the inauguration day, that they wanted to make sure that there was no <coughs> fake news. Oh, well, it's possible they around, have some kind so. of an automatic
0: um, announcement accompanying anything yeah. entitled uh, such that they have the word inauguration, right? right? Yeah. They can under, do that. That's right?
1: my understanding, okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, well, we'll have to refer to it as the unauguration from <laughs> okay. now on. U N A U G U R A T I O N. Al Gore has to do with congratulations, right? So inauguration has to do with uh, uh, congratulating somebody about some great thing that's happened to him. But uh, certainly, I I guess now we'll just have to refer to the inauguration, if we want to avoid uh, having commentary uh, (laughs) (laughs) right across the screen. Um,
1: Beat the system.
0: (laughs) uh, Well, if it's possible, I don't know. but in any, in any case, well, that's that's good. And actually, if we have viewers who can recommend other platforms, is that right? Did I get that right? <clears throat> We'd be glad to uh, launch on any platform that might be helpful. Yeah. So yeah. please let us know.
1: Definitely. Well, Father, we have a lot of emails. So um, if you're up for some of these, I'd like to get your response. Uh, This one I thought was rather topical, it's uh, from a viewer who says, I just finished watching the video on the catechism covering the fourth commandment. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm wondering about the orders that the governors have set up for wearing face masks. I don't feel safe or comfortable wearing face covers, but I get harassed and intimidated in several places for not wearing a mask. I don't know that God would want me to obstruct my breathing. Um, I wasn't created this way. And I don't also don't see how I am protecting myself or others by wearing masks. But Father, am, he asked, am I wrong to disobey the government in this matter?
0: Well, we're wrong to disobey, uh, disobey legitimate authority, right? And uh, there has to be a good reason. Certainly, a good reason to disobey even legitimate authority, of course. <clears throat> um, but here you have contradiction. We have constant contradiction. Okay wear the face mask, but follow the science. When You realize, well, following the science means don't wear the face mask. Because the science uh, is telling you wear it, don't wear it, wear two of them. Um, And you have studies that contradict each other, you have experts who contradict each other, you have experts who contradict themselves from time, you know, repeatedly. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the highest paid Official in the United States government,
1: almost half a million dollars, even
0: more highly paid than the president yes. of the United States of America, yeah. Doctor Anthony Fauci, with all the money he has coming in from all of this healthcare business going on, right? Yeah. Says, "Don't wear a mask." Well, do wear a mask. Masks are good for social. Make a social statement. Well, yes, they do help health wise. I said, "You." I didn't want you wearing masks before because there weren't enough masks going around so i told you no they don't help but they really did help and now i think you should wear two masks (laughs) and this is what we're dealing with here and this is what we're told is the science okay so the basic uh answer i have for that (coughs) is if you have a very solid reason to believe (coughs) that you're being led on by those in authority Uh, um, uh, falsely that they are not leveling with you that they're not being honest with you then you're not obliged to obey ambivalent commands you're not obliged to obey contradictory commands you're certainly not obliged to obey, obey commands that are meant to take away your fundamental rights as a human being created by God or as a citizen of the United States right um, if you were told as a Catholic you have to wear a yellow star on your, uh, you know, on, on your uh, bicep or on your sleeve, would you be obliged, would you consider yourself to be obliged in conscience to do that so that they could target you? Well, I don't think so, right? Um, and uh, certainly if you find that wearing a mask is, is uh, deleterious to your own health, and there's plenty of evidence for that too. I mean, look at the places where they've been the most draconian, requiring wear ma- mask wearing, and look where they have the most cases and the most hospitalization, and the most the greatest death rate. It's in those areas where they demand people wear masks and then enforce it with uh, very heavy-handed rules. So, again, uh, I, I would say no. I, I don't. I don't see it as against the Fourth Commandment at all. Not to follow the mask rules now um, could it be some other kind of sin against some other kind of uh, uh, against another commandment
1: Uh,
0: could it be a sin against charity well I guess uh, in some ways it could be if it caused panic in people who have been um, terrorized by the press by the media right filled with all kinds of false information, and they really do think you're putting them at risk and so on, I suppose it could be a matter of courtesy. If you go into a restaurant and the restaurant itself and all of its employees are being threatened with fines, being threatened with uh, even being closed down by law for uh, if they're found uh, remiss, then wearing a mask from the door to the table could be considered an act of charity to those who work there. Um, So, um, you know, it it could be, some people might say, well, I'm making a statement. Well, maybe so, but I don't know the statement is really accomplishing that much. Uh, But it could be putting at risk people, not not their health, but their livelihood, just because of the government um uh, and bring big brother, you know um so um I think that might be a consideration you know I, I, would it be a sin against justice i don't think so a sin against charity it could could be um so in any case uh but against the fourth commandment no, i don't believe yeah. that that would be a uh, sin against the fourth commandment not to wear the mask okay.
1: Right, uh then, Father, another topic I wanted to get into. I don't believe we've ever really covered this on our program, but uh, one of our viewers asked your thoughts on Mother Teresa, um, and if you thought that uh, she was in fact a saint or uh, seemingly a heretic. He provides two quotes here for your consideration from, from Mother Teresa. The first one, uh, she said, Quote, we never try to convert those whom we receive to Christianity, but in our work we bear witness to the love of God's presence, and if Catholics, Protestants, Buddhists, or Agnostics become the better, for this, better men, we will be satisfied. Uh, the other one he provided for us says, I've always, Mother Teresa says, I, I've always believed we should help a Hindu become a better Hindu, a Muslim become a better, a better Muslim, and a Catholic become a better Catholic. So Father, what is uh, your response to these quotes, and just in general, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on other?
0: Well, it seems to be a, uh, a heresy of indifferentism that she's expressing. Right, religious indifferentism is a heresy, and uh, this is these are not the words of a missionary. <clears throat> They're the words of an Albert Schweitzer, and the world admires Albert Schweitzer for his humanitarianism, and we might. Uh, I mean if, if you read those words and didn't describe them to Mother Teresa, I think most people would say well yeah, you know, I could see you know a humanitarian saying those things But not a Catholic missionary yeah. That's not what Catholic missionaries did they went out to save souls right our Lord did not send out the Apostles with the command go and uh, You know uh, feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty, our Lord indicated, of course, he said very clearly, that these good works would be good works inspired by faith and love for him, but of themselves, unless they're inspired by faith in him and and love and hope and love for him, they are not, um, they can't save your soul. You know, They're, they're not supernatural acts. They're just natural acts. And that's why I say that the other thing that comes through in these statements is just naturalism. Mm-hmm. become a better person right whatever that means for you you know if that's Hinduism if that's Protestantism if that's Catholicism, just be better at what you do and um, with no real definition of what that means being better you know, a better person you know? so uh, this is. These are not the words of a Catholic missionary, and I can't imagine them being the words of a Catholic saint, either. I think even Dorothy Day expressed more faith than that, although I could be wrong about that too. Uh, so um, anyway, um, but this sounds exactly the. This sounds like Francis Catholicism, pure naturalism. God, God loves you unconditionally. He doesn't expect anything of you at all.
1: He wills the di- diversity of religions. <clears throat> he
0: wills the diversity of religions. I mean even religions that say things about him that are not true. He's perfectly happy with that and he wants that. Uh, as though, uh, you know, w- w- the fact that the Son of God became man and taught us the truth is not, not even of importance, not even worthy of consideration. God wants the diversity of religions regardless. Uh, Of what Jesus Christ has to say (laughs) it's almost as though uh, Francis has God the Father disowning God the Son but I mean you know you you, just that statement we talked about that before Francis's statement and it seems to go perfectly with what Mother Teresa is saying there God really doesn't have any demands on us we talked about what about the first great commandment thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart thy whole mind thy whole soul thy whole strength that sounds like God expecting something from us. Everything, in fact. And what about the church and the catechism? I mean, the children learn, why did God make you? And they, you know, they'll learn the response, God made you to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world so as to be happy with him in the next. <clears throat> and that's what the Catholic Church has been teaching people from childhood for all of these centuries. And St. Thomas Aquinas couldn't come up with a better answer than that to know him, to love him, and to serve him. Now, how is that possible if God makes no demands and has no expectations from us whatsoever? It's a negation of the entire Catholic faith. It's a negation of the very, uh, you know, mission of the Son of God here on earth, you know. So, um, it's just outrageous that Francis would say that, but again, Francis Catholics are perfectly comfortable with that whole idea, and because they are, are guilty of just the the heresy of naturalism and the heresy of religious indifferentism. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it sounds as though Mother Teresa was a subscriber to that those mm-hmm. very errors.
1: And Father, for any, for anyone who was you know surprised by some of the, the things that that Francis has said, I mean. Here, Mother Teresa said these things decades and decades ago, and yet she, she's been, been a canonized saint. And so, these things that Francis are saying, they're nothing new to the Novus Ordo. Mm. I mean, this this it's is true. perfectly in line with their entire religion. But Father, do you think perhaps we should um, be a little more charitable and, and assume that perhaps Mother Teresa was taken out of context? I mean, it seems that you know she obviously did, uh, accomplished a lot of good. Should we kind of grant her the benefit of the doubt, or how should we? Well, it depends
0: on what doubt there is. I mean, I, I'd like to see the original statements in the original language, right? But we're just talking about what you've got there, yeah. okay? And on the basis of what you've got there, if that's what we have to go by, uh, as I say, it sounds like, you know, a heresy of naturalism. And it sounds like the heresy of religious indifferentism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And these are not the words of a Catholic missionary. Yeah. In fact, in in traditional days, these would not have been words of a Catholic at all, <laughs> let alone a Catholic missionary, uh, because the Church has condemned these ideas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the Catholic Church believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the one true Son of the one true God who taught the one true faith and established the one true religion, uh, and that without that there can be no salvation there can be no salvation outside of the the church and the religion established by jesus christ any more than there can be salvation without him or in spite of him um no one can come to can come to the father except through me and no one can come to me except the father call him words of our lord jesus christ we believe that evidently not everyone does uh evidently francis doesn't believe that Right. And the words that are related there, if they are accurate, well, even if they're not accurate, the words, the statements that are made there do not reflect the Catholic faith
1: at all. Right. Okay. Um, then another email. Father, we had a viewer who asks, asks how the readings are chosen for the Mass. She says, "I." I have to attend a novus ordo church and when i listen to father jenkins his gospel reading is totally different from what i heard at mass why would that be father
0: because you're going to the new order okay a new order is a complete and radical change paul vi called it the new order the novus ordo he called it the novus ordo is the new order of things right and so there's there are radical changes made uh, and it does come down to the readings at Mass. They follow an entire different order of the year, actually. What the Church used to refer to in her liturgy as the Sundays after Pentecost are now called ordinary time, whatever that is. Inspiring. <laughs> uh, not related to Pentecost, but related to whatever, you know. Uh, and so that this is what you're getting. You're getting readings in the Novus Ordo. And, you know, what it comes down to and what that should tell you is that you've got an entirely different religion. This is an an utterly different religion, not the traditional Catholic religion. (laughs) And uh, it doesn't teach the traditional Catholic faith. Maybe individual priests do, in spite of the Novus Ordo. But it's not because of the, the changes. It's not because of the new order that they belong to. It's in spite of it that they teach the traditional Catholic faith. And people have to realize that when they have a conservative Novus Ordo priest, he himself may have Catholic beliefs and, and may be very uh, conservative Novus Ordo, meaning he still maintains Catholic traditional Catholic beliefs and may convey them, may teach them. He's got to be careful, though, because he might be censured for it. But if he's allowed to continue, you might get the idea somehow that that's perfectly... Consistent with Novus Ordo teaching, but it's not consistent with Novus Ordo teaching. It's in spite of Novus Ordo teaching that they're teaching Catholic things. Some are teaching Catholic things in the Novus I mean, people ask these days. I mean, is is Joe Biden the president? And uh, I would say, of course, he is the president. He is the president. Another. It sounds like a different subject, but I w- I would say that Joe Biden is as uh, certainly the president. As Francis Bergoglio is the Pope. And there's no doubt about it. Francis uh, Bergoglio is the Pope. And Joe Biden is the President. But Joe Biden is the President of the benighted states of America. And Francis Bergoglio is the Pope of the Novus Ordo. I mean, everybody acknowledges that fact. Francis is the Pope of the New Order. And there's not the same saying that Francis Bergoglio is the president of the Catholic Catholic Church. There there are two different things. The question that people get uh, tied up over and get all uh, excited about and sometimes angry about and argumentative about is can you be the supreme pontiff of the new order and modernism at the same time you are the vicar of Christ on earth as the pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Are those two compatible? Can it happen that one person can be both? Well, this is the source of a lot of argument, okay? And it is worthy of a lot of serious argument, and there should be serious discussion about that very question. Um, The question of whether Joe Biden is the President of the United States of America, well, you know, people have their own opinions on that, and uh, there are people uh, uh, at U2 headquarters that don't don't like their opinions. (laughs) Uh, or Google or anything like that, but uh, people know where we stand on that. You know? But I would say uh, Joseph Biden is, without a doubt, the president of the benighted states of America. Okay? So maybe we can agree on that much. <laughs> I agree.
1: All right, uh, then another <clears throat> email, Father, see if I can uh, get this one too. It's, this viewer says um, he, he would like to know whether we are to read the story of Adam and Eve as literal, he says, I have heard from priests that Adam and Eve are not necessarily historical people, but rather a metaphor for early humans. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is heretical. Really? It is a heresy, yeah. yeah. <coughs> Absolutely heretical. Um, um, in H- H- Humanum Genus, uh, Pope Pius XII spoke very clearly about that. Uh, Humani Generis, I'm sorry. Humanum Genus and Humani Generis are two different uh, encyclicals. But Pope Pius 12 said one has to believe absolutely that our first parents, created by God directly and given human souls, um, so one has to believe that God created Adam and God created Eve uniquely, okay, as the, as the first parents of the entire human race. <coughs> they are not metaphors, okay. So if we're going to be, if, to be Catholic, you have to believe that God created them directly, immediately. And that he created um, their immortal souls to be them and nobody else, just them, forever. And um, that he joined uh, the soul to the body that he had fashioned. And man became a living being, right? Mm -hmm. A human being. So, uh, no, they're not metaphors. It's not as though there were a, what do you call a... uh, Family of apes, <clears throat> whom God saw were little high, more highly evolved than other apes in the neighborhood, and God said, "Well, I think I'll just stick souls into these apes <clears throat> and see what happens." That didn't—that's total baloney. In other words, there are those who would like to believe that because they consider the idea of God creating Adam and Eve specially and instilling souls in them, infusing souls into them. As being not scientific, (laughs) but obviously the idea that uh, God just kind of surveyed the ape population, picked out a couple of apes, and uh, let's say a male and a female ape, and said, "I I think I'm going to give them mortal souls." Bingo! And uh, then suddenly. You know, a male ape and a female ape suddenly came to and realized, oh, my goodness, I have a soul. <laughs> you know? um, there's nothing scientific about any of this, uh, imagining the ravings of the naturalists and the rationalists in trying to doctor this. The problem is they don't believe in God. They don't want to allow for God acting in creation. They don't even
1: want to allow for the idea of creation itself. <clears throat>
0: So uh, this is their way of trying to eliminate God for the patient.
1: Are we so, are we to read everything in the story of Adam and Eve as, as literal though?
0: Well, no. Clearly, because uh, it, as the Church itself has said, I mean, the, the, the Genesis was not written as a scientific textbook. It's it has deeper meanings. It has uh, higher meanings than merely, uh, you know, let's say the science physics of it or whatever. I mean, let's face it, (laughs) when we talk about God creating on the first day and the second day and the third day, and we talk about a day when the sun and the moon hadn't even been created yet, then obviously we're not talking about days as we know them now. So we, we realize that we're trying to express in very limited human terms ideas that transcend human Uh, cognizance you know and there are times when human terms just are not adequate so when we're trying to fit our understanding of God's actions uh, to human words we always have to realize there are limitations in our manner of expression Um, so I mean those who would try to interpret Genesis uh, according to the actual Limitation of the human terminology used, they can really go off on the wrong track and detract from the real meaning uh, of what God is really intending to say there. I mean, let's face it, what most people read as scriptures is a translation. It's a translation made from fragments and, you know, manuscripts, uh, partial manuscripts, and Uh, Dead Sea Scrolls (laughs) and so on, you know, you can go through the world's museums and collections of um, ancient parchments and so on with uh, texts of uh, scriptures and um, if you obtain a copy of the Greek and New Testament from the uh, like the Bible Society which has Catholic scholars on the the board. Um, The first thing you notice when you open the Greek text is uh, the variations at the bottom of the page and all the different manuscripts. When you you first open the book and it shows you where all of the different sources are, you realize, my goodness, this is phenomenal. Phenomenal work of scholarship went into this to give us the ability to read the Greek scriptures as far as we possibly can in the original mm-hmm. language in, w- in which they were written uh, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. That's a phenomenal thing. And it's, 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 it's actually I'm very impressive because the first thing you, you're you impressed with is, look at the bottom of the page as I turn page by page of, let's say, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, um, St. Mark, St. Luke, and I, I see that... <coughs> Uh, you know, at the top of the page I have the text, at the bottom of the page I have all the variations, I and mean, I'm rather surprised by saying, oh, look, in this manuscript or in that fragment here in the British Museum or whatever, it, it has the word "kai" here, it has the uh, word n here, it has the word uh, whatever, a different tense of the verb here. Uh, in maybe two or three of the hundreds or thousands of different fragments. At first, you look at that and say, wow, that's amazing, you know, I I wonder. But then as you begin to let that sink in, you say, it's amazing how uniform this is and how these variations are so inconsequential. They've accounted for all the different variations, minuscule as they are, through all these different manuscripts throughout the entire world, these ancient documents. And it doesn't change the meaning of the actual text. And you think, that's really impressive how, through all of these centuries, they've guarded the meaning of the, of the, the, the original Greek and the text, you know, coming down to us through the ages. It gives you a lot of confidence. The trouble is that very few people can read that. Um, and so they're relying on translations of translations. <coughs> And they have dozens of different translations into English. And they're reading it, uh, let's say, one, their favorite translation, and they don't even know if it's accurate. They have no means of determining whether it's accurate. Why is it any more accurate than this English translation over here turned up by some different editorial board with its own staff of translators and its own group of whatever, you know, review boards. So... on. And they don't agree. The English texts don't all agree. You know. And you, you see, well, this is what the, new, the Jerusalem Bible says is what the King James, what the New King James says. And it shows you all the variations in the translations. And you realize the Catholic Church is the only one that has the authority to tell you whether any of this actually corresponds to what our Lord really said and what he really meant. Protestants don't believe in an authority like that on earth. You know? So they have all these different translations that actually they have to try to somehow reconcile with each other, but they have no authority to tell them that this is true. Only the Catholic Church throughout the centuries has the authority, and even recognize the fact that it has the authority from our Lord through the Apostles to make a judgment on that matter. That in itself, you'd think, would give Protestants a reason for pause to think, how do I even know? You know, what... My hip pocket Bible is telling me is really true, and uh, because they don't have any authority on earth, they can tell them that it is true. But the Catholic Church does throughout the centuries, and any true church established by Christ must necessarily have that authority. So anyway, I know that's going off uh, in a different direction here, Tom. But uh, you know, when, when this gentleman says, uh, you know, I'm going and hearing different readings. And, and and it's just a manifestation of a deterioration because of modernism. Yeah. Now, if he had written and asked, well, I mean, how were the traditional readings of the church chosen? When I go to a traditional mass, I hear this epistle and this gospel. And how would those have been chosen by the church throughout the centuries? And the fact is, if you do uh, trace back, especially the Sundays, readings of the epistles and the gospels, you'll find this consistency, not over the years, over the centuries. You go back and you find missiles that are still actually available from the 1700s, the 1600s. You go back and find in, 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 in museums, uh, mu- missiles that even existed before then, and you see the readings of the Sundays and, and the days during the week during Lent and you see the consistency of the readings of the Epistles and the Gospels, the Old Testament readings of the Prophets and so on, and you say, my goodness, Catholics have been reading these same Epistles and the same Gospels year by year by year, uh, throughout the entire Roman Rite, consistently. Well, this is the authority of the Church and her consistency in her teaching authority. The Novus Ordo, when it came in, severed people from that, And now uh, the Catholic people are largely cut off from that instruction, sad to say. The church chose her epistles and gospels to go together on Sundays because they intersect and where the word of the epistle and the words of the gospel intersect, that's where you find the essential meaning the church wants to convey to her faithful on that Sunday. Who knows what consistency is in the Novus Ordo now, if any, whatsoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, that would be a worthy question: How did the Church traditionally choose Mm -hmm. her epistles and gospel? But of course, that's not what this fine gentleman is asking
1: right Mm -hmm. now. Uh, There was was one other question in the same uh, same email, Father. This viewer wanted to know if it is okay to read science books that are written by atheists. And he gives the example of a, a brief history of time written by Stephen Hawking. So is it OK for Catholics to read uh, books like that?
0: Ordinarily, I think those books would be on the index because they generally are meant to push atheism. Yeah. I mean, Isaac Asimov was a scientist, science writer. And he was really pushing uh, pushing atheism. Yeah. I mean, the, the man actually wrote a book of, of uh, immoral verse, you know, very immodest, grossly immoral verse. And, you know, that, that kind of tells you the character of the individual here. Um, but you can be sure that it is, in, in the science writing, it's all uh, of atheists, it's almost like uh, watching a soap opera on television. Because you you have the soap operas... That, I'm talking about soap operas going back 50, 60 years ago, which take the viewer into a world which is completely amoral. If God's name is mentioned at all, it is usually cursing or in blasphemy. But otherwise, there's no morality. I mean, it, um, it's it's all a matter of Sturm and Rang, as the Germans would say. Um, it's a matter of emotional, um, tempestuousness and, uh, angst and fury and it's all the, all the emotions and passions are turned loose in these, in these, uh, and every perversion, you know, thinkable to man, um, gets, um, is part of the storyline and part of the entertaining value of this. And people enter into this kind of world. They follow it day after day, year after year, it seems. These characters they get emotionally involved with in their lives. And it's totally immoral. Um, questions of morality uh, as such um, are not addressed. Ethics, maybe, I don't know. Um, but it is, it's terrible for people to put their minds in, enter into that world, surrender their, their, their minds, their affections into this world uh, in which no one would want to live. If Certainly no one's going to save their souls if they live this way. But generations of uh, women, uh, you know, notably, have, have entered into this world of soap operas and gotten very much involved in it. Somebody was told me, telling me recently there was a, a, I guess, I wouldn't know if you call it a soap opera, General Hospital? Now, I, saw, I never saw an episode of that, but people were telling me recently that there was a lot of morality, and there was a lot of mentioning of God, and, and now that would be interesting to me. But, you know, when you're talking about these other soap operas, um, I mean, they're very godless, and... Uh, so when you, when you pass on to the more scientific and more cerebral side of that kind of writing and you enter into atheistic uh, uh, treatments of the origins of the universe and so on and so forth, I mean, you can be sure that the treatment has to do with either a, a complete ignoring of God and trying to understand the development of the universe without him or an absolute denial of God. You know, an explicit denial. So I'd say there's at least an implicit denial of God and often an explicit denial of God. Uh, one of the great British uh, philosophers of science, um, i try to remember the man's name right now, uh, and I will remember that, He wrote a book called Just Six Numbers. I mean, people, some people might even be, identify the book. And... Um, I can bring it and hold it up in front of people if you want at some point. But this man actually received a Nobel Prize, philosophy of Science. But he was saying in his book that there are six values, forces in the universe that have to be exactly what they are yeah. or the entire universe could not exist in the first place. It wouldn't just collapse. It could never have come into existence. But after going through the book and explaining this, uh, it's very impressive, actually, Yeah. He comes to the question, of finally, well, does this indicate there is a God? And his answer was, absolutely not. Yeah. <clears throat> and the way he explained that was, well, <clears throat> we have to kind of posit the idea <clears throat> of an infinite number of possible universes. <clears throat> and if we posit the idea of an infinite number of possible universes, then it, it is inevitable that there be one universe, one of those possible universes, which has exactly these six numbers, and therefore... That's sufficient to explain why no God is necessary to create this universe. And at that time, the man, his very ability to be a rational being just completely breaks down. Completely breaks down. He abandons the use of reason at that point. Because the possible, the the infinite number of possible universes is something that he just said was impossible. Because this universe couldn't exist anyway right without these six numbers so he's fabricating this infinite number of possible universes it's a mere uh, fantastic construct which has nothing to do with reality oh let him invoke uh, you know all kinds of quantum theory and so on doesn't help one bit you know that's all theorizing and um, the fact is He's, he's going through this, this mental gymnastics here to avoid, clearly to avoid, uh, even appearing to endorse the idea of a divine being who is the creator of the world. As so though he has to do this to save face before the scientific community and give them an out. Now, by the way, scientists know it's not just six numbers. It's like four dozen, five dozen yeah. Values that have to be exactly what it is, or well, the entire universe never could have come into existence in the first place. But they're still insisting, but you know, uh, that doesn't mean that there's a God who designed this universe. You, you cannot allow yourself even to think that. And so I, I say, look, not only are you wasting your time to read what they write, uh, you're putting your, your mind and your soul in danger of taking seriously what they say. When what their, their fundamental message is, ultimately, there is no God. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to God. Um, I don't care how entertaining a book might be, I refuse to read things like that. Sure. And the church would not want us to read things like that. There are plenty of good books out there that actually don't have that bias, that are thoroughly scientific. Yeah. Um, so, uh, by the way... And on another subject, if you do yeah, so I was going
1: to ask if you'd like to <coughs> leave us in front of yeah. you
0: there. <laughs> you know, now that we have the current regime, uh, the current regime, uh, I guess, implanting itself uh, under armed guard of tens of thousands, right, of uh, National Guardsmen, um, who I think are being treated rather shabbily <laughs> right, yeah. in Washington, D.C., and now with this uh, so-called impeachment of uh, citizen Trump, <laughs> right, and trumped up charges, of course. The first ones were, the second ones are just no better. Uh, and the and guardsmen staying in Washington through the, just to make sure that the most popular president ever elected by the people of the United States of America doesn't have anybody interfere with uh, the results of the inauguration <laughs> i think it's important for us to realize what we're dealing with here you see um we're dealing with a family that is very heavily uh, entrenched in chinese uh the chinese economy they made billions of dollars well millions of dollars for sure stand perhaps to make billions of dollars uh through commerce with and in communist china uh Very buddy-buddy, right? With uh, the Chinese communists. And I think it's very important for us to understand the practical consequences and who who we're dealing with here. Okay? Now, many of our viewers probably are familiar with the epoch, or epoch. I've heard it referred to as epoch times. E-P-O-C-H, right? I would say the epoch times. And um, it is a... Newspaper, which is produced, I understand at least in part by Chinese expatriates who are refugees from communism, and they recognize what communism has done to uh, destroy their, and enslave their, their Chinese people, and they 're trying to expose that and enable us to understand you know what what the, communist, the Chinese Communist Party has in store for us um, When I read this publication as I do, I think of the testimony of Father Frederick Becca, a Marino missionary, who back in the 50s was a prisoner of the Chinese Communists. He was actually in China working as a missionary when Mao Zedong uh, uh, led his communist revolutionaries to take control of China. Drive Shanghai-shek off the coast onto Formosa, now Taiwan, where he would hold out as free China while the entire you know com- continental mass of China uh, fell to communism. Father Becca, his story is very important. I would recommend anybody who could listen to uh, the recording of a speech he, he gave actually after he was finally freed by the Chinese, threatened by the communists with death day by day by day. It's a harrowing story, a very heroic story, very inspiring story. Uh, Father Frederick Becca told his story in a speech called The Two Fists of Communism. And those two fists were force and fear. Uh, If you can find that, listen to it. I'd say it's very interesting. Because... He talks about world communism, Chinese communism, world communism wanting absolute world domination. Domination. He makes no bones about it, and he gives a, a rousing invocation at the end where he begs us here in what is left of the free world to get on our knees every day, every night, and thank God that we are not living under communism. We need that message today. <clears throat> But uh, so when I read what I'm I'm hearing from these people about life under the Communist Party in China and how they are the the poisoners poisoners of the world through this COVID-19 virus that they've unleashed on the world accidentally or some would think possibly intentionally. One thing for sure, they're using it to enslave. And then I come across this article. In the Epoch Times dated January 13th through nineteenth, 2021. So this is just earlier this month <clears throat> and this one article to me sums up life under communism and it should be a lesson to every one of us it should be a very powerful lesson to our men and women in uniform right now including those who were called upon to Stand uh, guard during the inauguration. It should be a lesson to them. Listen to what this says. If you don't mind, I'm going to read the sure. whole thing. It's entitled uh, <clears throat> China Develops Helmets for Soldiers with Self Destruct Button, semicolon, uh, rather colon report. And this is an article by Nicole Hao, I would guess also of Chinese. Uh, ancestry. This is what she says. The Chinese military is equipping soldiers stationed in Tibet with newly developed helmets embedded with a self-destruct button. The button triggers an embedded bomb to go off, killing the soldier. And this is a quote here. At a battalion or brigade level command center, a commander monitors a soldier who is far away by using the navigation system. The commander can activate the self-destruct function of the soldier's helmet if he can't get in contact with him, end quote. State-run Media China Observer reported on December 27, 2020. Soldiers can also press the button themselves. Quote, if a soldier is seriously wounded and doesn't want to be captured, he can activate the self-destruct function himself. This can maintain his dignity. Quote from the Chinese Communist Observer now. This can maintain his dignity as well as prevent the enemy from obtaining this system. End quote. The report stated the new helmet is a part of a, quote, individual soldier digital combat system, end quote, given to troops in the Tibet Theater Command. They face Indian troops at the border, where there were recent skirmishes over disputed territory in the Lakh region. This is That is spelled L-A-D-K-H, so I'm not sure of the pronunciation of that, but. Anyway, that's what it is. The system includes an antenna and bomb, night vision multifunctional glasses, and a digital control terminal that can be worn on the arm. After being equipped with the system, soldiers at the front line can communicate with the battalion commander at the command center via radio, according to the report. Meanwhile, The commander can see the front line by reading the video footage captured by the soldier's camera equipped inside his jacket. By viewing the footage, the commander can order to fire artillery targeting Indian soldiers, the report stated. It further claimed that the soldiers can push the button to detonate when they approach Indian forces. This system would ensure that the Chinese side would win any potential conflict with the Indian Army, the report stated. Soldiers in special forces units, the squad infantry, as well as the artillery, aviation, and armor divisions will be equipped with this system. All of them. Aviation, right? Infantry, artillery, <clears throat> Armor, all of them, they're all going to get this system, throughout the entire Chinese military. Hours after the observer published the report, the content about the embedded bomb and suicide style attacks was deleted. But the original report was archived by multiple websites. US based China affairs commentator Tang Jingquan noted that this new equipment is evidence that the People's Liberation Army, that's China's military, struggles to manage its soldiers and has to use extreme methods to ensure they don't desert their posts or disobey their commands. Since 2018, the Chinese regime, regime has issued increasingly severe punishments on deserters, such as banning them from public transportation, attending school operating a business, working in government posts and applying for passports. And this is the quote here. Now, PLA, the People's Liberation Army, soldiers are forced to fight after wearing the helmets. Otherwise, they will be killed by their commander, Tang said. Now, you know, at first, you read this and you think, this is surreal. But then it sense, it begins to sink in what they're doing to their own soldiers. They're strapping bombs to their heads to literally blow their heads off. They can do this to destroy themselves, but a commander far away can monitor their activities and determine whether they're trying to desert and whether they're not being responsive, push the button, blow their heads off. Or, if they're approaching enemy soldiers and that soldier's death could wipe out four or five enemy soldiers, push the button without warning, kill your own soldier and half a dozen of the enemy soldiers. Can you imagine going into battle like that? Knowing that there's somebody back there watching your activities, monitoring your activities, and that at every moment... Pushing the button to blow you up, all to serve the Communist Party. This is so evil. It is just typical of the Communist idea of the value of human life. They have no value of human life, their own people. We've seen the products they've sent over here, and they've contained poisons and so on, but they've been giving those same poisoned products to their own people. For decades now it's only the fact that they're sent here and we determine what they're doing that has even made it public what they're doing to their own people they have too many people they're happy to get rid of them they're happy to eliminate them there's a story about a, a Chinese military officer communist Chinese military officer who was actually captured and during interrogation was, was asked, don't you realize that for every, <clears throat> for every one of our soldiers you kill, we're destroying a hundred of your Chinese people. And he said, the, the, the interrogator said, don't you realize what that means? And the, Japan, the Chinese military officer said, oh yes, very soon no more enemy soldiers. They have all these people to spare. They've got millions of spare people. And uh, they're quite happy to get rid of them. Uh, especially that way. I mean, it's, it's almost like an Islamic mentality. Strap on the bombs, go and blow yourself up, and if you can take a half a dozen or a dozen or 20 other people, the more the better of the enemy. Civilians on a crowded bus or wherever else, right? Destroy the infidel. This is the value of human life, In this mentality. Robert Strange McNamara was the, Department of Defense, was the head of the Department of Defense of the United States of America during the Reagan administration, and then, uh, no, I'm sorry, during Kennedy, Kennedy administration, I beg your pardon, back in the 60s, and then under uh, also Lyndon Johnson. And he was pushing the war in Vietnam. Afterwards, he came out and publicly apologized. He said... One thing he had not figured on was the fact that the enemy placed no value on human life. Not ours and not theirs. And they were certainly willing to see thousands and thousands of Vietnamese killed as Viet Cong. They had no compunction whatsoever. But that, that you might say, was back to, again, a Chinese operation, a Chinese Chinese communist operation. No respect for the value of human life. I mean, there are stories about the Viet Cong being uh, high on uh, heroin and whatever else and going into battle with that. Absolutely fearless because they were out of their minds in attacking the enemy. They were being just used as cannon fodder. This is what communism does. In fact, wherever you go in the world, that has not had the influence of real Christianity, meaning Catholicism. This is how they regard human life. The individual human life has no value, really, except for what it can be used for by the collective, by the state, by the party. That's all it's worth. People don't realize what the world is like without our Lord, Jesus Christ and the influence of the gospel. They do not realize what a a hell the world can become without that and the difference that the gospel, the church, our Lord, has made. But unfortunately, I fear they're going to find out the hard way. Um, This is the kind of thing we're dealing with. Now look, if you were an American soldier right now and you say, okay, These are the people who are hell-bent on our destruction. These are the people who are amassed on the Canadian border right now by the thousands that the Canadian government has actually welcomed into their own country. You say, we might be fighting these people if they so decide. And I'm supposed to go into battle against this? People who will self-destruct, blow off their own heads in the, in the hope of just getting close enough to me to kill me too. is This is the kind of enemy that I'm going to be facing. And my, my American government leaders are working hand-in-glove with them. And business partners with them. Making money with them. With them, actually. And money in their business... Uh, world that is actually tightly bound to their military also you know there's no real firm line drawn between the chinese communist party economy and the military they're all embedded very much with each other if i were an american soldier would i say am i supposed to actually be happy with this and be comfortable with this? What are they doing to me? What are they planning for me? If this is what I'm supposed to be facing someday, um, I I would give a serious pause to this. And I would say, I I really don't want this policy. (laughs) And, uh, um, you know, Tom, I'm sorry. This just actually stunned me when I read this. I thought, if anything speaks the mentality of Chinese communism, this is it. And I thought of that speech by Father Becca, and it reminded me of what he said. He said that he would be marched out day by day to day, first thing in the morning, marched out under guard to be lined up for the firing squad, to be executed. Day after day after day, he stood there waiting for the fatal bullet. Day after day, the guns would fire. No bullet would kill him intentionally. It was meant to terrify him and terrify the people. Day after day, he said, first thing in the morning, the entire village would be marched out and lined up to witness the killing of just innocent people who were chosen for no reason, except for the fact that their murder would be a show of force and would instill terror in these these people. And Father Becker said that he witnessed this. He said there was a little baby who was crying and he buried his face in his mother's shoulder because he was terrified. And a communist soldier walked over, forcibly seized the head of that child and twisted that child's head around to see the killing. Because everyone must learn to be afraid, he said. And Father Becca said, how diabolical can you get? And he's right. He's absolutely right. And, you know, this is Chinese communism here. These are the people who want us to have their system of social credit, and we're being warned now by our own anti-communist public officials that this is what is actually being instituted here in America. We are going to be living under that. Our children are going to be living under that system of godless communism. We have to be very wary of that. You always ask, what's the good news? (laughs) Well, the good news, Tom, is that our faith is, is the uh, remedy for this. Our faith is the true vaccine against this evil, right? Against that evil. Because our faith tells us, and it is reflected in the words of our founding fathers, certainly far from perfect, not Catholic, but they still had enough uh, Catholic teaching in their belief That God created us and he endowed us with the rights um, for the, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he gave each one of us individually that right. We're individual creations of God to be loved by him and to love him in return. And that idea of the, the dignity and the responsibility of each and every human life, each and every human soul, animates our faith. Fills our faith in all the societies and all the laws that are based upon that teaching from the Holy Gospel of our Lord. And when we see what life is without that, we can appreciate it all the more. And that reminds us of how wonderful, how marvelous that is and how valuable it is. And we would not part with that for anything in the world, right? Right? reminds us of what our Lord has says that we must take courage because he has overcome the world and this is definitely worth fighting for so we have to do that for our Lord right we have to do that for him uh, to fight for that we have to fight for the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ we have to fight for souls that he won at such a great price this is, this is what we should, should fill our, our hearts and our souls with faith hope and charity, and the courage that goes with it, to to put it into practice, to stand up and be thankful to God that we are here now, and called upon by Him to stand up for our faith, and our hope, and our love for our Lord Jesus Christ, and not let anything silence us or intimidate us into silence. So there, I said my piece, <laughs> anticipating your question. <laughs>
1: Well, I have nothing further to add, Father. Thank no you for all God. of that. I <laughs> yeah. appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray in due penance. Thank you, and God bless you.